Namaste, it's Sahara Rose, and welcome back to the Highest Self Podcast, a place where we discuss what makes you your soul's highest involvement. First of all, I just want to share how excited I am about how the doshas and dharma program is going. This month, I'm leading a four-week online program all about helping you discover what your highest purpose is. And wow, has it been profound. We just finished our first week and already so many incredible downloads have manifested. One girl realized that she loves to travel and is starting an online travel magazine. Another girl has realized that her true gift is teaching people how to heal through the sound of her voice, and I've connected her with the voice alchemist who she'll be training under. Another girl had the dream of helping homeless youth and was hired on the spot for working a job with a social worker. And the list goes on and we're just at week one. So it's so amazing when we put our minds to something and with just a little bit of guidance and support, how much can happen? These findings already existed in each and every one of these women, but it just took a little nudge to get it out. So it's just truly a reminder that For me, my highest self is helping you become your highest self, and it fills me up with so much joy to see you guys pursuing your dreams and making a difference in this world. So for this reason, I'll be running my Doshas and Dharma program again in the spring. So if you're interested, be sure to apply on my website, IamSaharaRose.com. I'll be leading multiple small groups, no more than 10 people, and I'll be on each of the weekly coaching calls. There's videos, PDFs, meditation. So if you're seeking mentorship from me, this is your chance. So now to this week's episode. Wow. Whew. Rosie Acosta is has what many of us would consider a dream job. She travels with Yoga Journal, teaching yoga across the country, as well as at Wonderlust and many other top yoga studios. She mentors people from NBA players and Olympian athletes to inner city youth on how to achieve mindfulness through yoga and meditation, and hosts the radically loved podcast, which she most recently interviewed me on, so be sure to check that out as well. I reached out to Rosie when we were both listed as the top seven podcasts by Yoga Journal, and as soon as I met her, we instantly became sisters. I learned so much about her in this interview and am truly so inspired. So if you're someone who had a troubled youth, who grew up in a poverty-stricken area, Maybe you were surrounded by drug use or violence, but you've decided that you're ready to take charge of your life and rise into your highest self. Then this episode is for you. Rosie is a true example of making your mess your message. And I am so excited to share this interview with you. Her and I will be co-leading a Dance Your Doshas Ayurvedic Yoga and Dance Workshop at Wanderlust, probably January, February time. So make sure you're following both of us. I am Sahara Rose and Rosie Acosta, which I'll have both of the links in the show notes to stay tuned for that. So without further ado, here is beautiful Rosie. Hope you enjoy. 
So I'm sitting here with Rosie at her beautiful house. She brought me fruit and tea and her boyfriend was so nice getting everything set up. And I'm so excited to introduce you guys to her. So welcome, Rosie. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to meet you in person. I've been such a fan. Uh, Your book is amazing. So and congratulations on being bestseller. Yeah, thank you. Crazy. Crazy. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, Yeah, so congratulations. Thank you. So the first question I always ask people is what makes you your highest self? It's funny because when I listen, you know, it's like when you listen to a podcast and you know what the questions are, like, I'm I'm always like, oh, wait, I've never been asked that question. (laughs) You know, so there's no real preparing. So I think that for me, it's Just being able to be fully emerged into whatever it is that I'm doing. So it, it's kind of a little bit of a scapegoat from like, or, or different vernacular as opposed to being present, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I just want to be completely immersed in the present moment, mm-hmm. whatever that means, whatever that whatever that looks like. It just, it could be us sitting here on my couch, like talking to each other, being here, you know, Mm -hmm. drinking tea or whatever it is that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, that feels like that's what my highest self is because it's the only place I can experience that. It's in Mm -hmm. the present moment. Like you can only experience the divine in the present moment. Right. So I think that I'm going to go with that. That's so beautiful. And you've had quite a journey. I was reading all of your blog posts and you're a yoga teacher touring with Yoga Journal, 22 Cities. You're a mindfulness expert. You have a podcast. You radically love top 50 podcasts by iTunes. And you really accomplished so much and are a true epitome of someone who has stepped up and become their highest self. But it hasn't always been that way. Mm -hmm. And you started off when you were a teen and you were troubled. So can you talk a little bit about that and that journey? Yes. I, uh, it's so interesting to talk about my journey now, you know, because I still in a lot of ways see myself as that troubled teen, you know? So I, I grew up in, uh, East Los Angeles during a very chaotic time. Uh, it was during like the LA riots and, uh, I lived in a very, dangerous environment. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, you know, a lot of gang violence, a lot of domestic violence. There was drug use, alcoholism. Like I just kind of grew up in a, in an environment that was, uh, constant chaos. Um, also, uh, my, both my parents are immigrants. Mm -hmm. My, my father's from uh, Mexico and my mother's from Spain and Mm -hmm. they met, they fell in love. And then, you know, my, my older sister and I like came along and they really uh, did their best. My grandmother, his mother, um, his sister, and his youngest brother lived with us. So it was like, that was our little family unit. And it was very traditional for them to, um, they were very devout, Catholic household, like very ritualistic. Um, And with all the chaos that was happening, like to them, it was very normal, especially, you know, coming from, where they came from in Mexico, there was a lot of like corruption and violence. And this was just kind of the norm, right? For them. So it just, it it didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary. And so growing up in that environment where I was seeing the chaos, 
outside and I was seeing the chaos inside, you know, while they watched like the Spanish news with like decapitations Mm -hmm. and like people getting killed and, you know, uh, drug trafficking and everything at a young age, you just, you just start to believe certain things about the world. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, it was, again, to me, very normal. Um, my parents, got a they got separated around that time when I was like an early teen and um you know I I went through the growing pains that all of us go through uh because of the environment that I grew up in it was uh more compelling for me to become a, a bad child like I got into a lot of trouble I was constantly just doing things that I shouldn't have been doing and I was rebelling against my parents right because I'm like that's just the norm that's what I saw it's what I was around um so that was a lot of my upbringing um it took a few years until maybe um I old as I was an older teenager like I barely graduated high school you know because I was just school wasn't a thing there was never anybody around me who was a good mentor who was a good um coach or somebody that had any sort of aspirations of becoming more it was like if I was surviving I was like thriving right it's like if you were alive you were doing good if Mm -hmm. you didn't get pregnant you were like doing good you know so those were like my only barometers of success right you know which is kind of like I thought I was doing great you know like just barely like skating by and I was uh, diagnosed with, um, celiac disease when I was about, uh, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And obviously like just being a rebel and just being bad and smoking pot all the time and eating McDonald's like every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I was depressed. So it was just like, I was on all this medication. I was on medication for depression, for anxiety, for, um, my celiac disease. At that Mm -hmm. time, like now it's like, there's so many tools for people that are living with celiac disease and there's so much more information out there now, but back then basically the doctor just gave me a list of things not to eat. And it was like the standard American diet. Your parents are like, like no tortillas, like nothing. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it just was basically like no pizza and no, no burgers, no bread. And I'm like, what is this? What's left? Crazy. So, um, it it was really hard, you know, like I was so unhappy and I didn't have any aspirations. Like there was, there was really like nothing, but internally I knew that there was something more. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was always really big on, uh, finding different ways and, and knowing that there was something more for me, even though my environment wasn't conducive to me having something internally tell me that there was something more out there for me. Right. Um, I just continued to listen to that more and more. And um, my mom actually started going to the self-realization center in Mm -hmm. Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would, during the summers, she would bring my older sister and I to work Mm -hmm. um, right on uh, the hospitals on Vermont, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, in Hollywood. And she would go to the self-realization center and I would tag along and they would talk about all these things about your life and uh, spiritual connection and yoga and meditation and then they would chant and I thought it was so weird you know but like Mm -hmm. especially it felt so cultish right 
but I also grew up again Catholic with all the singing and like the ritual and the prayer. So I'm like, I guess this is like the normal thing, yeah. right? But that was like my first introduction to yoga. You're like so, Hollywood people are weird, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Hollywood people are weird in general, right? Yeah. Especially growing up in East LA, like it was always kind of like the people on the West Side were strange. Yeah, or that's what you know I was told, sure. you know. Yeah. So that sort of began to open the door to like other possibilities. And right then uh, I went through a really bad breakup, especially being like a 19 year old, you mm-hmm. know, where I, I just, I wanted to change my life because I knew if my life didn't change, like I wasn't going to see past 20. Mm-hmm. Like there was just no way I was mm-hmm. depressed. I didn't, I didn't have anything. Like I just felt like I was just living my life with no purpose. And mm-hmm. I felt like I literally could feel in my body that my life was just like going by and I was just watching it go by. Mm. Um, I ended up signing up at a gym and I met this trainer who was like totally into holistic health and wellness and into yoga and mm. into like eating organic and eating clean foods. And I'd never known about any of that because to me eating healthier foods was privileged right Mm -hmm. it was what people that had money right you know they they got to go to like get their groceries from Ralph's and like we went to like the 99 cent store like the Mexican supermarket Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. it was it was mind-blowing for me that this this person that grew up in the same environment I did that he knew so much and and it it made me curious and so cut to, I started to research more. I started to change my diet because I wanted to try it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the difference right away. I cleaned my diet. I started to eat more fruits and vegetables. I stopped eating fast food and I started to feel better. Mm-hmm. Like I started to feel good and I was totally addicted. You know, I was like, I like feeling like this. This is good. There's something to this. And I continued going to the self-realization center, you know, like I still continued that, that journey. And little by little, I began to find that I was really passionate about learning about healing and how food can help with that and how we had the power to change things in our lives, Mm -hmm. right? Just by sheer knowledge. And so I was able to take that journey on and I um, start, continue to practice yoga and meditation. I moved out of East LA. Like I ended up moving to Hollywood because I got a job uh, working as a salon manager. Mm-hmm. I got a hair salon and still, especially being in Hollywood, it's like everyone's like into fitness and mm-hmm. looking good, you know, and not always in the healthiest way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely helped propel me to, continue to feel good and do things that made me feel good. I signed up to run my first LA marathon and that's really like what kicked everything into high gear because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to do something to start and finish it. You know, I want to be able to like really commit to doing something that means something that only I can do. And I did it. And after that, I've run the marathon four years since. And it, it really propelled my yoga practice into high gear because after that, I started to notice that the more I practiced, the more something was shifting internally, mm-hmm. right? I started to feel more of a connection to myself, to what I was doing. I started to begin to get more clarity on my life mm-hmm. and 
I did my first yoga teacher training certification, not with the intention of teaching, mm-hmm. just as a way to deepen my practice. Mm-hmm. And I learned all about Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. I learned about meditation. I learned about mindfulness. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do this, you know, because I can see how all of these tools, mostly how they were helping me, but how I can bring them to people that, that didn't have them. Mm-hmm. You know, so initially my and journey. How old were you when you like started doing this? I was probably like 20, 21, 22. Okay. Yeah. And um, I, I knew that like I wanted to gather as much data as I could mm-hmm. because I wanted to help people like me, like mm-hmm. kids like me that like, were troubled and, and didn't have any dreams or aspirations mm-hmm. and were unhealthy and, and didn't have any sort of drive. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to help these people learn that they had the power to to change things mm-hmm. to shift things in their own lives and um and I did and it took a few years I got uh my holistic health coach certification I got a nutrition certification I became a life coach while at the same time still working you know my full-time job as the salon manager as a salon manager and then I ended up becoming an executive assistant to um a celebrity uh health and wellness trainer. And I think like this right here is so inspirational because people are like, oh, like I have this nine to five job. I can't do these things. And the fact that you were working that side hustle, like doing trainings of health coaching and nutrition and yoga and life coaching while still having a full-time job. Oh, and I was going to college too. Oh my gosh. So there's always time for whatever you choose to make time for. Oh, absolutely. I, and I totally believe that. I mean, it's that desire, right? That will like, and I really believe that for me, it was very like fueled by not having, mm-hmm. right? By not having any of it. And now that like I found this desire, this this drive, this will to climb that mountain, I wanted to keep it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to continue to have that. And I wanted to share it with mm-hmm. everyone. Um, so yeah, I, I worked as an executive assistant, still continuing, you know, my side hustle, Mm -hmm. you know, and building, building, building is I was teaching like one class a week and, um, at yoga works, that's where I got my teacher training Mm -hmm. certification. And then I started teaching at Equinox and then I would go down to the Y in Inglewood and like, you know, go donate time to like teach the kids, you know, at risk youth. And it just continued to build and build and build and build. And then I finally was at a place in my life where I had another like awakening moment where I could see my health becoming second and I could see my desire and my, my goals and aspirations becoming second to my work, mm-hmm. my job. And I was like, I, I can't, I, I won't do that. And I quit and I decided to do what I do now full time. And it's been how I can, uh, like, a, like eight years mm-hmm. since I have been just on my own and, and it's working and, it's and working. you're thriving. And it is, yeah. So how did you make that first leap? Because a lot of people, money, that's the thing that they're afraid of. How yeah. am I going to support myself doing what I love? Yeah, that was tough because when I quit my job, it was like 2008 during the recession. Right. It was like literally the worst. People aren't getting like private yoga Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like the worst pri- the, the worst time to, to quit my job, like mm-hmm. literally. But I was so unhappy and I was so... I just knew that it would work out. Do you know what I mean? Like, For sure. To me, it was more compelling 
to go after my dream than the intensity and the fear of things not working out, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, that was, I, I, when I work with people, you know, as a, as a coach or just as a teacher, it's interesting because it's hard to give somebody advice as to you should quit your job and just do this health coaching, like uh, do this, you know, if you're really passionate about it, you'll do it. Um, because in hindsight, what I've done things differently, I think hindsight's always 2020, right. You know, um, could I have continued for a little longer? Yeah, I probably could have. Um, I did what I did and I don't regret any, anything, uh, the way that anything went down, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like, you should do whatever is going to make you feel the best. Mm -hmm. You know, some Mm -hmm. people need that security and that doesn't mean it's going to stifle your dreams. Don't let it. Right. You know? Um, Yeah. I guess that's my advice. Totally. Yeah. And did you build your, did you start first with yoga and then go into health coaching or did you kind of just train it all and then are like, Hey, I can, Fix your life. You can fix Basically. your life, right? Like yeah. one-stop shop. Do you want to talk to me? Do you want to do yoga with me? you want me to... So, interestingly enough, working at the salon mm-hmm. really helped me. Like, Oh, it's like Life Coach Academy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not only that, but like I met so many of my first yoga victims, like mm-hmm. my little students. Like, yoga victims. <laughs> I was like, hey, I just got, I got my yoga certification. I will you, do you need a yoga teacher? Can I come over? You know, I will, you know, do a a free yoga class. And if you like it, then, you know, you can hire me and I'll come and I'll, you know, teach you a class. And so the hustle started then, right? Like back then. That's that's the best place. Yeah. People that you already know. People that you already know. And so it started to build that way. And then the, the busier I got, the more, um, I would get asked to do certain events, you know, especially being in LA. I mean, someone knows someone else, like everyone knows Mm -hmm. everyone. And it was really easy for me to be like, Oh, do you want to go teach here? Or can you sub for me at, you know, Google? And now, Mm -hmm. now I'm teaching at Google and it's like, Oh, can you go teach? Uh, My friend has a home in Malibu. Uh, This friend is a Oscar winning celebrity, you know? And it's like, that student then refers me to somebody else and then that somebody else refers me to another person. And then it just, you continue, you just continue to build and build and build. And yeah, that's how I was able to, in a nutshell, like it really started with the people in my closest vicinity that just helped me and supported me. And I think that that's so important to be able to just start there. Yes. And I think like, this is so important for people listening that People have dreams. Oh, I want to teach yoga to A-list celebrities. It didn't start that oh, way. No. Like Leonardo DiCaprio is like, hey, like come <laughs> teach me how to downward dog. It started right. with the girl who you've been straightening her hair for five years, right. convincing her to do a yoga thing right. and her referring someone else, referring someone else, eventually building and building and building that. Yeah. So people often fall in love with the dream, but it's really the process. Yeah. And that's, I think that you, this perfectly said, because I think that what I'm all about now in my life and in my career and with Radically Loved and, you know, everything else that I'm doing is really about the process. Mm -hmm. I mean, yoga really is about the journey, right? Mm -hmm. It's about the process. It's really the, the journey from how I got from here to there. You know, I think that's the most important part. And I feel like that's the part that most of the time, especially where we are now culturally, Mm -hmm 
we forgot. Well, because we just see the success story. We just mm -hmm. see he has a New York Times bestselling book or she teaches at all of the yoga journal conferences. Mm -hmm. Goals. We yeah. always say goals. And I'm like, why do we say goals, goals, goals? No one else can be your goals. You weren't even your own goals. You yeah. hadn't planned this out. You just kept following the path and it manifested. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yes. It just, it really comes to knowing your own resilience mm -hmm. and, and having the courage to, to make that climb, you know, to, to have momentum, mm -hmm. to push yourself and move forward past whatever limitations you think you may have, whatever narrative you've told yourself, like you have to be able to move past that mm -hmm. and you can, and most people can, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Do you think that maybe like your soul chose your upbringing and those struggles to help you yeah. teach and be that coach? I mean, I'm so grateful for my life. Like I'm so grateful for the way that I grew up and the way that I was raised because it really did teach me a lot and I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I would never wish that on anybody, mm -hmm. but I am so grateful that I had that experience because at the end of the day, it really proved to me that there is a greater good mm -hmm. that with the desire and the drive and the will and the perseverance purpose, mm -hmm. the potential that, that anyone can do it, mm -hmm. you know. Absolutely, and I think with a lot of the Latin American community, I grew up very close with like Latin American culture, and Catholicism, it's faith. It doesn't matter if it's spiritual. It doesn't matter if you're chanting mm -hmm. Om or if you're saying Gracias a Dios. It's the yeah. same thing. It's that faith that was instilled in you. It was just to, in a different system. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Totally and I think that's what, you know, carries. I see so many, you know, um, undocumented workers here and they have so little rights and it's so disturbing but just their faith in God and their faith in themselves and that everything's going to work out keeps them going mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful yeah it really is it's um it really made for a, a balanced perspective for me because I've been now in my life in a position where I can see the disparity between the people that have and the people that don't have. Yeah. Right. And I love to be able to hold that paradigm. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to be able to teach about the duality of yoga yes. and just the duality of life. And for us to still acknowledge the fact that we have control, but we have no control. Right. Right. So what is it like now that you're teaching like, you know, the most well-off people who are able to go to these conferences versus teaching at the YMCA in East LA? How, how do you see that the yoga practice changes? I don't necessarily think that it changes per se. The practice, the practice mm -hmm. is the practice. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, this is like a 5,000 right. year old practice. Um, I believe that people are all the same. Mm -hmm. No matter if you have a billion dollars in the bank or if you're living off food stamps, mm -hmm. we all have the same problems. Yeah. We all have the same desires. We all want our families to be healthy. We all want love in our lives. 
at some capacity, we all want to help others. Mm-hmm. There's a desire to connect. Um, there's a desire for knowledge. Um, and there's a desire to suffer less. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so I think that ultimately, from, from that perspective, it's the same. Obviously, from the perspective of me teaching in a million-dollar home mm-hmm. in Hollywood Hills is different from when I go, like, visit my aunt in Merced, California, mm-hmm. like, in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, like, where it's mostly Section 8 mm-hmm. housing, mm-hmm. you know, it's government housing. It's like there's, it's like, voted one of America's, like, unhappiest places to live. Mm-hmm. You know, so of course the the environment affects us, mm-hmm. but I think that at the end of the day, it really comes down to what what we want, mm-hmm. right? What we want and and what we're willing to do mm-hmm. to get that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, the difference is that the person that has the million dollar home is going to have more of a choice. Mm-hmm. That's purely in regard to resources. Mm-hmm than the person that that doesn't mm-hmm. you know definitely and how does it feel like to see you know we were talking about this briefly how yoga has changed a lot it's changed a lot in the west versus how it was in india and you're touring now around the country mm-hmm. is it just in the united states yeah, or just other the countries? US. Uh-huh. and what is it like to see this like culture that's been created around yoga i mean i gotta say it's it's for the most part beautiful because to see how many people are walking into a yoga class and trying yoga for the first time or being curious about this practice, it's, it's, it's so heartwarming because it continues to fuel my hope for humanity, mm. especially where we are right now in the current state of affairs. Mm-hmm. It is so... It gives me so much relief to see that people are still showing up on their mat. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do notice is there is a disparity in regard to um, what people think yoga is. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the tradition of yoga and what it means to have tradition and what it means to study what yoga really means and, and it not being... Um, me going to sweaty yoga inspired fitness class wearing my like Lululemon outfit and just doing a, an awesome class with the jamming playlist. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's not yoga. Right. I'm just saying that it's interesting to see where there's holes. Mm-hmm. And I can say that because I've been doing this for long enough that I can see that. And now, especially traveling from the east coast to the west coast you know for now it's it's we're like a little over halfway Mm -hmm. you know and I love that there's still a desire but I feel like there's there's still and it could be very metaphoric for where we are just as a as a country Mm -hmm. does that make sense for sure I mean when when things are getting hard like maybe your lululemon pants are the most important thing in your life yeah. And how can we even judge that? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I've always been big. Like, 
I have friends of mine that, um, you know, might look at this, what just happened? I just saw somebody, oh, the, for aerial yoga. Mm -hmm. I was saying something like we, we were going to an aerial yoga class and uh, I'd never tried it before. Mm -hmm. I was really excited, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm all about, I don't care how you get on your mat. Right. I don't care if it's aerial. I don't care if it's, uh, goat yoga. I don't care <laughs> yeah. if it's naked yoga. Yeah. Like it's all yoga. Yeah. At the end of the day, yoga is union, exactly. right? So it's like how, whatever it takes, mm -hmm. that's what it's going to take. Right. You know, it's, it's like, to me, I look at it as, the hope is that it's a gateway. Mm -hmm. It's a gateway drug for you. Mm -hmm. That you at some point will see that there is something else and that you'll listen to that inner seeker and go find it. Mm -hmm. Right? So uh, the the issue I was having was that I was talking to this particular friend and he was saying how um, he couldn't believe that like, you know, these things are passing, being passed off as yoga and it's not yoga. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm like, well, here is a very highly uh, respected teacher in, in the yoga community that has a large following mm -hmm. that is very steeped in tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, and I myself have a teacher. You know, I study with, with uh, my teacher, Yoga Rupa Raj Stryker. I've been studying with him for the last six years. And, you know, I, I have – that's part of, like, my, my own journey, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's interesting to me to hear somebody like this particular teacher mm -hmm. say that these things are not yoga. And I'm like, well, if that's really what you believe, that I think that that's where, why we are where we're at. Right. Because of that judgment. Yeah. Right. And saying a practice has to look a certain way is the same as saying a family has to look a certain that's way. Right. A person has to look a certain way. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I, I don't think it's like the more spiritual you become, the more traditional your yoga practice. Like I still love going to sweat yoga. Oh, me too. And it's like 102 degrees and there's like jaw rule playing. I love that. To me, I literally feel enlightened when I walk out of there. I feel so great. <laughs> I also really appreciate doing like Iyengar and going down into my practice and stuff. But I don't think one is better than the other. That's, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, that's, you're right. And that's exactly the way that we have to view it. It's not one way or another. It's not, and it says it, like, that's part of what this is. It's not this. It's not that. It's right. both. It's yeah. like yoga is the study of opposites. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, the uh, feminine, the masculine. You know, it's both. Right. You know, so I think that in order for us to, and where do we draw the line of what's yoga? I mean, if we're really going to say it, it's actually meditation. None of us are doing right. Yoga. Exactly. Sitting and breathing is yoga. Yeah. When you go to India to a yoga class, this like big guy comes with a belly. He's like, okay, now we're going to breathe. <laughs> and there's no movement. <laughs> like that's, that's yoga. And that's yoga. Yeah. Well, like this is yoga, you know, like right. us talking to each other. Like this is, this is all yoga. It's yeah. interesting because I had a, uh, an email from one of my listeners for, for the podcast, um, that said that she was really uh, concerned that I wasn't providing any more yoga uh, content. Mm -hmm. Like it just seemed like there was very much, there was much like more lifestyle. of the, yeah, more mm -hmm. lifestyle, way more uh, self-development, way right. more um, that type of self-help. And mm -hmm. she was just concerned that I, I would potentially be adding to the problem. And it was very, it was, it didn't feel like I was being attacked. I mean, she was right. very diplomatic and I, I 
I responded and I was very grateful. And I'm like, I love listening to people's advice and, mm-hmm. and people's feedback. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the end of the day, I'm like, that's, that's not, it's all part of what yoga is. And mm-hmm. if, if for some reason I've not made that clear, then, then I need to revisit that. Right. Right. Because it's like, that's what my point, my and, point and is. And you're in your own personal evolution too. You sure. can't remain the same. Right. Right. And it's like, as we continue to evolve and grow, like the things that we believe may continue to shift or the way that we see the world may continue to shift. But that's, that's, you know, if you're not growing in my belief system, especially with growing up, going through adversity, if you're not growing, you're dying. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's just, I have the chills. Yes, for sure. I mean, that's just, and really... I think we constantly need to be reinventing ourselves with like, with the idea of the highest self in mind and not being attached to it, but always looking in and being like, yeah, is my life really working for me? Is yeah. it what I'm, I experienced the same thing with food. Like I was just a food blogger recipes, yeah. this, that. And it was so scary for me to like change even the first podcast episodes. I'm like, and I'm eat, feel fresh. I'm like, that's not my name. I'm not, a, am not eat, feel fresh. That's like a thing that I, I created a blog that I created but then going away from food, I would receive the messages of like, oh, well, I followed you for your great like health advice. Like, why don't you go to Whole Foods anymore and like talk about the labels? And I get it. They love that. They wanted that. But I'm like, but the thing is now I've, I've gotten the nutrients that I need to fill this like deeper part of me that needed the nourishing that wants to talk about more than what's going on between the meals. Right. Right. So, and you see this with so many, like a friend of mine, she started thyroid yoga. Do you know Fern Olivia? She's, I don't, I don't she started so. something called thyroid yoga. She had thyroid issues and she created like a yoga practice to heal that. And she created teacher training of it and it became like a really big thing. But then eventually, you know, after a few years, her thyroid problems were gone. She's like, I want to talk about like sensuality. And I want to talk about like, what is life? And people were like, wait, but you're abandoning thyroid yoga. And she's like, no, like I'm adding more to myself. And yeah. even with yoga girl, oh, yeah, like her Rachel, podcast yeah. is not about asana it's about life which is also yoga so that's right I think as you know people in the public we sort of feel this like debt to like whatever I started off with I have to like stick, have to with stick that. to it yeah and, oh. we, and we don't yeah and we'll find new people who are into where we are right now you're so right yes I love that because it it's the work that we do and, and the people listening to this podcast in particular mm-hmm. obviously like they're coming here because at some level, they they get that, they understand it, and they want to move with it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that it's so it it's vital for our own personal evolution mm-hmm. to let that expand and to be okay with changing. For sure, because changing out of being a troubled teen to a yoga teacher is the same as changing from a yoga teacher to a mindfulness teacher. It's the same evolution. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Preach, sister. Yeah. So it's beautiful, and I love being on the journey with you. So glad that I met you. Me too. Yay. So where can listeners find you? Oh, that's easy. Uh, (laughs) You can go to radicallyloved.com. I'm also on all the social media. I shouldn't say all of them. I think I'm actually, I'm on Instagram more than anything. And it's Instagram uh, slash forward slash Rosie Acosta, R-O-S-I-E-A-C-O-S-T-A. And it's the same for Twitter. And it's the same for 
What's the other one? Facebook. Yeah. yeah. And I'll post all your links. In the show notes <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh, God. And I'm yeah, we're going to do an interview next on her podcast, Radically Loved. So go subscribe to it right now to yes. hear the rest of the story. You'll hear us both talk about each other. So just make sure you listen to in order. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. There's no order. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.